from something that's right. Pulls you toward something that's wrong or pulls you away from something that's right. Maybe it's something that pulls you toward something that's wrong. Your friends are doing something that you know is wrong, but you want to fit in. So you do that thing. Or you're dating and you know God's standard, but you feel this pull to do something that you know you're not supposed to do. Or at work, you know, you're you're going about your day, but you know if you cut corners or if you didn't tell your boss about this thing, that you could get it done quicker. Or if you're at school, you go, well, now they have AI. I can just have AI write my paper. It's the temptation to pursue something that you know is wrong. But temptation can also be something that pulls you away from doing what's right. Your parents ask you to do homework, and you know you're supposed to do homework. But over there is the video game console. Now, video games aren't wrong in and of themselves, but when you're supposed to be doing your homework, it's a temptation that pulls you away from doing what's right. If you're on a diet, chocolate could be that thing that there's nothing wrong. Chocolate is a gift from God, but it might be something that is pulling you away from doing what's right. Maybe you're on a date with your spouse and you know you should be giving your full attention, but you have that phone and you're tempted to put your attention on the phone and ignore your spouse. It's pulling you away from something that is right. Maybe you're trying to do devotions or you're trying to pray. And there's that thing that's distracting you. It's pulling you away from doing what's right. So temptation is something that either pulls you toward something that's wrong or pulls you away from something that's right. Are you into fishing? And some of you might be into ice fishing, which I don't really get that. But it's, I mean, I I just don't like the cold, period. So that's probably why. But in in fishing, you know, what do you put on the hook? You, You put bait, right? You put something that looks good. So the fish is swimming in the river or the ocean or the lake, and it sees the bait, and it gets excited because the bait looks good. And that's what temptation is. It's something that looks good, it feels good, but there's a catch. It ends badly. Now, we all face temptation. We all face it every day. We all face the pull towards stuff that is not good for us because of our sinful nature. We all feel the experience of something being pulled away from doing what's right. The Bible is full of those examples. Samson and Delilah, David and Bathsheba. On their end, you have Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and you have Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Now, some of those are examples of people that gave in to temptation. You know, David gave in to temptation with Bathsheba. You know, Samson gave in to temptation, but Joseph fled. He even left his coat. He fled away from temptation. Daniel refused to eat the meat. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego refused to bow down to the idol. So the question becomes, how do we face temptation and have victory? How can we sing with confidence, we are more than conquerors through Christ? Well, today I want to look at Genesis 3 at the Garden of Eden and the first temptation, and hopefully that will bring some clarity to this. So Genesis 3.1, the serpent Satan was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What was Satan's opening line? Did God really say? That's the same opening line he uses on us today. 
He makes us question God's goodness. He makes us question God's purposes. He says it all the time. Did, did God really say that about marriage? Did God really say that about sexuality? Did God really say that about morality? Did God really say that about justice or mercy? As a pastor, I've heard people say, God wants me to be happy, right? This is what would make me happy. So God surely can't be against that. Or it's not that big of a deal. Or it doesn't hurt anybody else. It only affects me. Or the Bible doesn't really say that because that's in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. Jesus didn't address that thing. Or Jesus was just about love. He was not about judgment. But in all those things, Satan is whispering, did God really say? See, John 10, 10 says, Jesus, or sorry, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy because Satan is the father of lies. Have you ever given into a temptation and in the moment you enjoy it, but a few moments later or a few months later or down the road, you're hit with the consequences and you realize that the temptation was just bait on a hook and that Satan made something look appealing, but in the end, he was just stealing, killing, and destroying your joy or your life. In Jeremiah 2 God says to Israelites, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now for context, uh, in Israel, uh, a lot of the places were dry. They had droughts. And when they had that situation, they would build these cisterns. There was different kinds of cisterns. And they were to collect rainwater. And those cisterns were designed to continue to give access to water. But what, what Jesus said is, what they've done is they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. Living water is a river. So Jesus, God is saying, you had access to a constant source of water. You, you would never run out of water. And instead what you did was said, I don't want that. I'm going to forsake that and I'm going to build cisterns that will hopefully catch the rainwater and will hopefully provide. But then, not only did you build cisterns, but you build broken cisterns that don't hold water. They could easily crack and allow the water to seep through. What, what, what God is saying is you're exchanging what I have for you for what, for what the world has to offer. Romans 1 describes this as a, the great exchange. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. Satan is always tempting us to find our satisfaction in broken cisterns. We look for it in our marriage, in our relationships, in our work, in our status, all these things. And they end up being just broken cisterns. So John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus says, may have, have come that they may have life, and have life to the, to the full. See, Jesus offers true life, access to living water, access to joy. But we tend to go after the counterfeits. Satan is always offering counterfeits, temporary satisfaction, broken cisterns. And so he always says, did God really say? 
Back to Genesis 3. Did God really say, the woman said to the serpent, we may not, or we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, here she gets it right, she points out, God did give us clear instructions. God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, she's saying, this is what God said. This is what God really said. What do you think Satan did there? He doubts it. You will not certainly die. He, he puts in that little bit of doubt. He, he puts that seed of doubt in there. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, a lot of times Satan tempts with just partial truths. Because they didn't immediately, physically die right at the moment that they ate it. But before that, there was no death. They wouldn't have died. And not only that, they immediately spiritually died. So they experienced eventual physical death and immediate spiritual death. And their eyes would be open to the sin. But the woman, so when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, what, good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. So, so what's going on here? They know what God's law is. They know what God told them. Satan is getting in, and she looks, and she says, okay, looks good, looks pleasing, looks desirable, and they ate it. And then they experienced something they had never experienced before. Shame. Sin. They had never experienced bad. They had only experienced good. And now when they experience that, they, they cover themselves up. I was part of a cohort of pastors in 2020 and 21, and we did a number of trainings. And one of the trainings uh, talked about different types of temptations. And they broke down uh, this passage this way. Uh, there's the temptation of appetite. She saw that the tree was good for food. The temptation of ambition. She, she saw that it was profitable for gaining wisdom. And the temptation of affirmation or other places we see approval. They wanted to be like God. And we see these all throughout Scripture. You know, Abraham gave in the temptation of approval and said, This woman Sarah is my sister, not my wife. Because he was worried of what would happen to him if they found out this beautiful woman was his wife. Esau gave into appetite and traded his, traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. Jacob saw ambition by manipulating his brother and manipulating his father to get the blessing. Saul pursued ambition as he tried to kill David so he wouldn't lose his status as the king. David uh, sought after appetite with Bathsheba. Peter sought the approval of others as he denied knowing Jesus because he was worried about the consequences if they recognized he was a disciple. And you might struggle with all three, but I found that most people have one that is the one that really gets them the most. First one, temptation of appetite. Now, we tend to think of it as things like food. We tend to think of it as like chocolate. But, but it could be anything. It could be this, we, we have these addictions to our phone or technology or, or video games or smoking or drinking or drugs or, or looking at inappropriate content on the internet. There are lots of times these addictions are tied in with our appetite, but it doesn't have to be, uh, something that is an addiction. It could just be a strong desire to consume or participate in something that's wrong 
or again, a strong desire to pursue something that is not wrong, but it's not beneficial. It pulls you away from doing what's right. So maybe for you, it's a temptation of appetite or maybe it's a temptation of ambition. Now, we all try to teach our kids to work hard and, and, and be good stewards of what they have and want them to, to succeed in work and sports and school. But often this ambition piece, it's, it's this temptation to, to pursue these things above Christ. It can lead to us coveting and we want more money, more accolades, more accomplishments, better house, more stuff. It can lead to pride. We find our identity in what we do more so than who we serve. We can find this in the Christian life too, as pastors or as ministry workers, finding our identity in the things we do rather than the one that we serve. I didn't think this was a struggle of mine. I don't consider myself an extremely ambitious person. And then during 2020, it was really hard, you know, it was a tough time for everybody, tough time for pastors trying to navigate that, and I started going to counseling just to process some stuff, and, and I recognized something that I didn't see, I didn't, I didn't recognize. See, I, as a youth pastor, my first youth pastor, we started with just a few kids and it grew, and we had a, a big youth group, and then I was a youth pastor uh, in Lowell, and it started and it, and it grew. And I was expecting when I came to North Park, I go, it's all God's, it's all in God's hands, you know, everything, it's all God. But I felt like if we do the right things, we'll grow, you know. And so, and we did for a few years. And then 2020 happened and we didn't. In fact, we lost a lot of people. And some of those people left because of me or decisions that we had made as elders. And what I recognized in that time was too much of my identity was tied in, was I success? as a pastor? Had I preached a good sermon? Had I done the right thing? Was I doing the things to cause the church to grow? And when the church wasn't from an outside standard looking like I thought it should, then that, pride, that temptation and ambition kicked in. The pride, the, all these things. These, these things are so sneaky. They, they slip in. And I had to recognize that God put me to pastor whoever is here on Sundays. And it wasn't about me. It was about doing his work. And we all struggle with these things. Or maybe it's the temptation of approval. This is, this is one I've struggled with my whole life. We want the people we work with to think we do a good job. And we want friends. Many of you were like, if I could just find someone that, that, that would fit in. Someone that would accept me for who I, I am. Or family or, or social media. And all these things, we have this temptation to, to be approved. And so, you know, maybe sometimes people at work are making jokes and you're like, well... I know that's inappropriate, but I'm just going to participate or I'm not going to leave because I want them to accept me. Or, or maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend is pressuring you to do something and you don't want to, to break up. Or, or maybe you lie about the things that you like because you want people to accept you. When I was dating Sandy in high school, she said she loved hockey. Have you ever seen those commercials where you run back the replay to see if that's, you know, throw the flag? And it turns out that was false. And now I turn on hockey. She's like, can we watch something different? I'm like, we're one minute in. But she struggled with the temptation of approval when she was 18 and we were dating. We all struggle with these things. As a pastor, I struggle with the temptation of approval. Wanting, wanting to be liked. Wanting others to, to like what I say. Wanting to avoid conflict. Wanting to not do things that would cause conflict. You know, Pastor John suggested we should do a sermon series on politics. I was like, ha ha. Oh, oh, you're serious. Okay. 
Uh, and then we scheduled it. And it's going to start in a couple weeks. And uh, I'm teaching the whole thing. It'll be fun. All right. <laughs> but there's that temptation to not do something because you want approval. You know, when, when we're tempted, we, we were tempted to, to go the easy route or to do the thing that makes us feel good or to not do the thing that's hard. In James, it says this is what's going on when we're tempted. No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, if you've been reading in your devotions the Lord's Prayer, and even praying, and you go, why are we praying and lead us not into temptation? Because I thought I read in James that says God doesn't tempt anyone. So whenever we come to those situations where it seems like one verse is saying one thing and the other verse is saying something contradictory, we need to do a deep dive. And so when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, here's some of what the commentaries say about the way this is structured. R. Kent Hughes says what it's saying is do not us allow to come under the sway of temptation that will overpower us and cause us to sin. Craig Bloomberg says, don't let us to succumb, don't let us succumb to temptation. Or to put it a different way, don't abandon us into temptation. Kevin DeYoung says, don't allow me to be near the allure of the sin. Don't bring me near to the devil. Don't permit me to be in a situation where the enticement of sin will be greater than I can bear. During Jesus' day, there was a there was an Aramaic prayer that the Jewish people would pray at night. They had planned prayers. And one of their evening prayers was this. Lead me not into the power of transgression, and bring me not into the power of sin, and not into the power of iniquity, and not into the power of temptation, and not into the power of anything shameful. So we pray, lead us not in temptation. What we're really doing is praying for protection. Pastor John last week looked at the three P's of prayer. We have provision, give us today our daily bread, and pardon, forgive us our sins, and we forgive those who sin against us. And this last one is protection. After we pray for forgiveness, we're going to the next day and saying, God, these are the things that I've just done. I'm I'm asking you for forgiveness. Now I'm praying that you would help me walk in victory today. That you would protect me today. That you would guide me and help me to walk according to his purpose. But let's go back to James. So he says God doesn't tempt anyone. But he says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. But after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And what is full grown, it gives birth to death. So we see a, a pattern here. First, there's this desire and there's this temptation. There's something we see. There's something we observe. There's something we know. I shouldn't do this. But at that point, it's not sin. You know, we can be tempted by anything, but we can choose to not give in to that temptation. But then what happens? Then there's a turning toward the sin. There's allowing yourself to be pulled toward it or pulled away from what's right. And that desire is conceived and it gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. So it's this pattern when we face temptation, there's this desire that comes from our sinful nature. And we have a choice to choose to not do that thing or to give in. First Corinthians 10 explains a little bit more. It says, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. When I was a teenager, I thought... What I was going through, nobody else had ever gone through. For you or middle school or high schoolers, look at me for a second. What you're going through, a lot of people have gone through before. 
And it may feel like you're the only one that's ever experienced this. But I guarantee you there's someone else probably in your youth group, even just in the small youth group you have, that's going through the exact same thing. See, the Bible says no temptation is overtaking you except for what is common to man. We all have experienced these temptations. But here's the good thing. And God is faithful. He will not let you tempted beyond what you can bear. Sometimes people say God will never give you more than you can handle. Now, they get that from this verse because what the Scripture is saying is God will never let you tempted beyond what you can bear. Why? Because when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So anytime you face temptation, you can't say, well, God made me do it because God provides a way out. And so we get to that moment of temptation. We have a choice. Here's the big picture, big picture of what's going on here. The things we say yes to when temptation is luring us actually keep us from saying yes to God when it matters. Big picture. God has a purpose for your life. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for us in advance to do. And so when we say yes to temptation, whether it's saying yes to things that are pulling us away from what God wants to do, even if they're things that wouldn't normally be sinful, or we're saying yes to sin, something that's pulling you toward sin, what we're doing is that's keeping us from saying yes to God. It's keeping us from following his will. It's keeping us from doing what he wants us to do. Because Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. So saying yes to sin, saying yes to temptation, is saying yes to Satan, it's saying yes to the counterfeit, it's saying yes to the broken cistern, it's saying yes to the thing that leads to death rather than yes to the thing that brings life. Ultimately it comes down to this question. Do you trust that God has something better for you? A lot of times that's what temptation comes down to. Do we truly believe that God's plan is the best plan? Do we truly believe that God has what's best for us in mind? Do we truly believe that God's way is better than our way? I always use the illustration of the train because I love it. The the tracks are what allows the train where to go. God's word is like the tracks. It gives us freedom to go where he calls us to do. And a lot of times we look to the right and we look to the left and we wish we could be doing that thing. And what we do is when we come off the tracks, we actually get stuck. True freedom is found on the tracks. Life off the tracks leads to being stuck. Satan is always saying, go over there, go over there. That's real life. But when you get off the tracks, you find that Satan is offering a counterfeit. It's not true life. It's not real life. It's not full life. But what if you're here today and you're like, Phil, this is a mute point because I totally blew it yesterday or a week ago or two weeks ago. Or frankly, Phil, I haven't followed the Lord for the last month or year. Or I've never followed the Lord. I want to encourage you that if you have given anticipation, there is forgiveness. Last week, Pastor John talked about how we forgive others. But when we give anticipation, there's forgiveness available for us on the cross. In Hebrews 4, it says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That means God knows every single thought you've had, every single argument you've had, every single hateful thing you've ever said, every single thing you've done that was wrong. 
God knows the good things that you've done with wrong intentions and bad intentions. God knows the things you do when you're alone at your house when no one else knows. God knows all that. It's all uncovered. None of it is is without knowledge. It's all laid bare before Jesus, the one to whom we give account. And that should frighten us. That should scare us, except for this. Therefore, my favorite words in the Scripture, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. In Matthew 4, we have an account of our Savior being tempted. And Satan used those same crafty things he tried to use in the garden. First, he, he appeals to temptation of appetite. He's, Jesus has been in the, in the desert for 40 days in the wilderness, not eating any food. He said, turn, turn these rocks, turn these stones into bread. Fulfill your appetite. Do this. Jesus says no and responds with Scripture. Then he says, okay, well, let's go to the highest point of the temple. And the temple would have been full of people. Jump off the temple so your angels will save you. All the people will see you and they'll all want to follow you. Jesus says no and responds with Scripture. Temptation of affirmation approval. I'll give you the, all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them all to you. And Jesus quoted Scripture and said no. But those 40 days weren't the only times that Jesus was tempted. He was fully human. He experienced pain and hunger and sadness. He was rejected by the religious leaders, those that you would think he would want to seek approval of. He was betrayed by one of his closest companions. He, in the garden, he was tempted to avoid the cross, and he was so distraught that he sweat blood. As he was beaten, he must have been tempted to just tell him, Stop, I don't want to take this pain anymore. And as he was on the cross and people yelled, come down from there, prove that you are the Son of God, I'm sure he was tempted to just come down and say, I am. But he did not give into temptation. Hebrews 12 talks this way about the cross. With a joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen to this. Consider him who endures such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So when we face temptation, what are we to do? Consider Jesus. Why? So we do not lose heart. We know we have a Savior who is tempted in every way as we are, yet did not sin. Back to Hebrews 4. Let us then, because of who Jesus is, because he was tempted and didn't sin, because he died in our place, paying for the price for our sin, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. So we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Throne room is a place that you could only come by invitation, but that's where we go with confidence, knowing God will provide grace and mercy. First John 1 John 1.9 puts it this way. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just forgive us. He purifies us. He makes us new. In, in the words of Psalm 103, he cast our sin as far as the east as from the west. In the words of Hebrews 8 and Jeremiah 31, he remembers our sin no more. He paid the price. Anybody remember what happened to Adam and Eve after that incident? They, they found some figs or some branches. They covered themselves up and then Jesus came down. 
and he sacrificed an animal to make clothing for them with the skin. It was the first death. It was the first sacrifice. I did that to cover up their their sin and their shame and their nakedness. And that pointed forward to a time where Jesus Christ would come and he would be our sacrifice to cover our sin, our nakedness, our shame, our guilt. He paid that price so that we can be purified from all unrighteousness. So we pray and forgive us our debts. We also pray uh, we also pray for forgiveness. We pray to the God who can forgive because he was tempted in every way, yet did not sin and died on our behalf as our sacrifice. And after we pray for forgiveness, we pray for God to help us walk in victory and to fight against temptation. We pray, lead us not temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, whether that temptation is appetite or ambition or approval. We ask for God's help. So how do we apply this today? One, Jesus invites us to a full life. There was a time in my life where I was really struggling. And in that time, I thought that what I needed to do was I needed to make it right and then come to Jesus. So I sinned, I messed up, and my thought was, okay, i got to put together a couple of days of doing the right thing make up for it, and then I'll go back to God and say, see, God, I know I messed up on Monday, but now it's Friday, and look how good I've been doing. And I had that pattern in my life for a while. Let me tell you, that, that wrecked me. There was no freedom. True freedom came when I recognized the moment I sin, I make a beeline to Jesus. The moment I mess up, I'm in my shame, I'm in my guilt, I've messed up, I've sinned again. At that moment, I go to the throne of grace confidently, knowing I'll receive mercy in my time of need. See, I think a lot of the times we struggle with sin because we feel like I just need to do better, work harder, do good enough things. And we try harder. I've been struggling with this sin. I've been struggling with this temptation of appetite, this addiction. And so my response is, I'm going to struggle harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to put these things in place so I can have victory. Or I'm struggling with the temptation of ambition. And so, you know, instead of pursuing my ambition towards work, I'm going to put my ambition towards following Jesus. Or I'm struggling with the temptation of approval. And, and okay, I'm just going to work harder to not... To, I'm going to go to counseling so I don't think about what they say. And think, but if we just... Live life trying to work harder, do better. We're going to have a life that doesn't have very much joy. Next week we're going to talk about Jesus' command to abide. True life, full life, the best life is only found in Jesus. There's so many counterfeits out there. Satan is going to be always saying, did God really say? Did God really promise Is that really what God wants for you? God doesn't want your happiness. God God wants to hold you down. He's put all these rules and restrictions in your life so you don't experience true freedom. But Jesus says, I have come to give life and life to the full. So when we mess up, we don't don't just try to do better. We, We run to Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I I tell you today, run to him. The prodigal son is a beautiful story. The son is far off and we see the father run to the son. God is waiting with open arms. Come to him. 
2. Jesus invites us to walk in victory. Now remember I said when Jesus faced temptation, we're, we're called to consider Him. Consider Jesus. What did Jesus do when He was tempted? He quoted Scripture. So maybe today, if you're struggling with a specific sin or, or something that you've continued to wrestle with, the solution today will be to find a Scripture that addresses that issue and quote it to yourself all the time. Psalm 42, David speaks to himself as he's in the middle of this time where tears are his food day and night, where he's surrounded with his enemies. And what does he do? He continues to look back and speak life and speak truth of God's promises. So if life is difficult and you're tempted to spend all your moments worrying about what's going on, 1 Peter 5 says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You find yourself angry at your spouse or your coworker, and you just want to lash out. Memorize James 1.20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. If you find yourself tempted to lust, memorize Job 31. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully after a young woman. If you're a foster parent or you're taking care of an aging parent or you're just exhausted from continuing to do the right thing day after day, memorize Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you're feeling alone and you're tempted to despair, memorize Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. If you struggle with unforgiveness and bitterness, memorize the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. See, combat your temptation with God's Word. When Jesus was confronted with temptation, what did He do? He quoted Scripture. Back to the big picture. The things we say yes to when temptation is luring us actually keep us from saying yes to God when it matters. Our whole life should be about that last song. Take my life and let it be. Saying, God, I want to give you every part of my life. But part of that is recognizing that when temptation comes, it's Satan counterfeits. It's Satan trying to keep us away what God has for us. And what God has for us is full life, the best life. He has our best intentions in mind. The thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but jesus says i have come to give you life and give it to the full may we find full life in him today jesus thank you that we can look to your example that when we face temptation we can can consider you knowing that you were tempted in every way and yet you did not sin knowing that you experienced struggle, temptation, hardships, difficulties, and yet you did not give up. Knowing that in each of those temptations, you chose to live a perfect and holy life, to be the perfect sacrifice for us that we could never be, to die in our place so that we could have not just life, not just eternal life, but a full life. So, Lord, help us to find our satisfaction in you. Help us to say no to the counterfeits that Satan offers. And help us not to be lured into things that are wrong, 
or lured away from things that are right. In your name we pray. Amen.